0: Abbey Road, September 26th, 1969.
1: The Beatles come to America. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Episode 17, Abbey Road welcome to the beatles come to america podcast i am your host tom galker along with a Beatle guru Brooke halpin today we are talking about another epic recording not like we had one before it's just called abbey road it's released in the fall of 1969 september 26 this is the only podcast that we jump around from the track listing so the songs are discussed out of order before we get into the show, we do have some housekeeping notes to go about, and then we get right into the, the podcast. Uh, I have a podcast, it's called Something Came From Baltimore, which is a music interview. It's more jazz, R&B, and blues, and it's not really about Baltimore. We want you to be a part of the Be More music scene, though, by subscribing, and the link is in the show notes. The Beatle guru, Brooke Hopin is all-knowing when it comes to Beatles, and he sweats that Beatle DNA. We all know that. You need to follow him on his Facebook page, Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Hopin. The link is also in the show notes. We have our own Facebook page just for this limited series. It's called The Beatles Come to America. It's on Facebook. Got to go on there and rank the Beatles' best albums from best to worst. And trust me, uh, it's a little project, so you need a little more time. And as a bonus, every episode, The Beatles Come to America, we have a Brooke Halpin original song. So you want to stick around for that one also. We hope you subscribe, participate, and enjoy. And remember, we love the Beatles, so you got to love us in our comments. And enjoy our other creative projects. So here we go. It's the Beatles Come to America. It's episode 17. It's Abbey Road.
1: Tom and I, I always enjoy being with you. Looking forward to to talking about Abbey Road.
0: Yeah, uh, we are extremely excited about Abbey Road because I think in in, um, in, in my lifespan, this was one of the first uh, Beatles um, albums that I've had. So I was about five when this was introduced to me. Now you lived it, so do you remember around that time period when you? Uh, Abbey Road came out, and what was the vibe, and what was your initial reaction to it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember remember like it was yesterday. I was a student at the Harvard Conservatory of Music, and I had a rock and roll band at the time called Four O'Clock, and a friend of ours, uh, Betsy, who actually is from Baltimore, believe it or not, Betsy Ramlow is her name, she was a dancer at the conservatory, and she was staying at this really lavish new modern home out in Farmington Connecticut and she invited us out one evening and this house had the new the brand new stereo system with quadraphonic sound and like four speakers hanging from the ceiling and everything and she put on Abbey Road, and that's where <laughs> I heard Abbey Road for the first time. You could imagine what it sounded like on that equipment and those speakers at that time. It was it was extraordinary. And of course, I was blown away by it, as my other bandmates were as well, and and Betsy enjoyed it too. It was a very impressionable, a very memorable evening. And of course, the first thing starts off with that incredible McCartney bass line, and Ringo's uh, wonderful drum pattern on the on the toms and the snare.
0: Wow! Yeah, and uh, when there's a couple of things that I think are really important about this album. One, I think this is a Paul album and a Ringo album. Um, Paul's bass throughout this whole album, and his contribution is outrageous it's great i mean if uh come together or um you know just on, on just the other songs you're like wow he is really being very creative like um something
1: his yeah. his, his baseline in something is one of the most amazing baselines i've ever heard
0: i i've never heard ringo sound as well and i think when i did the re- started doing the research they they had an eight track for this album where they had a yeah. before, so they they put two mics on Ringo's kit, and that was where you get this amazing sound. And Ringo is amazing the whole way through. It just sounds so good.
1: Yeah, and however, also Mr. George Harrison plays six string bass on some of the songs on Abbey Road. Yeah, so does. we got to give we got to give George some credit for his bass playing as well.
0: And I'd say that, you know, the, the, the Beatles were coming out of like a little sloppier area. You got the White Album and you got the Yellow Submarine, but it's very um, well polished when you're coming out of like there, there's a heavy blues period of the 60s and, you know, the White Album was a little sloppy. Everything was kind of li- very loose for them to kind of come into this very structured and very organized. It's completely different, I think, for that time period.
1: Yeah, well, they were, of course, continuing to be innovators. No one had done a medley before. And it's just that in and of itself was, I think, spectacular. And it's not easy to do a medley when you have eight different songs. You have different tempos. You have different rhythms going on. And you have different key signatures. How do you make them all flow together? That's remarkable when you think about that.
0: Fifty years of of that medley etched in our mind. I was listening to that the album on shuffle, and it really, it was disturbing because I'm like, I need to hear these in order. We're we're basically after a fifty year mark trained to hear that medley, and at the time you hear it, you're like, this is like a, a symphonic masterpiece.
1: But so, what's interesting, as you probably know, is that. The original plan was to have Her Majesty as part of the medley and then Paul decided uh, after hearing it with with Her Majesty in the medley he said oh, no 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 cut it out and the engineers uh, at Abbey Road were told to never throw anything away that the Beatles recorded so the engineer just happened to tape it on to the end of the tape <laughs> so that's how Her Majesty ended up being the closing bit of music on Abbey Road. It was a mistake. Her
2: Majesty's
3: a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Oh, yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine
0: yeah and what a great way to end it um, you know, the the influences at that time if I'm not mistaken Brooke is that there was a lot of like British musicians who were really excited about the blues scene like they were cultivating yes. a blues scene I, and I hear a little of yeah. that I'm hearing some um, John Mayo am
3: here in the rain baby under that old
0: traffic uh, just you know slightly I still feel there there's a heavy Beach Boys influence uh, and uh, I want you she's so heavy to me it, it feels like they they've uh, enjoyed what they heard with the doors I I feel that this is kind of a Dorsian. It's like the it's only like one of a kind that that the Beatles have ever done. I mean, it's a it's one of my favorite songs of theirs of all time. But I feel that you know, with The Doors coming out with uh, two albums before that, that they may have slightly been influenced on that.
1: Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. And also speaking of an influence on I Want She So Heavy is that the lyrics, of course, are extremely minimalistic. John emphatically just keeps repeating, I want you, I want you so bad, you're driving me mad. And three years prior, someone had a song, called I want you and the lyrics were I want you I want you so bad and we know who that is don't we
0: who I want
2: you I want you I want you so bad honey I want you the drunken politician
1: Bob, Bob Dylan had a uh. hit in- In June of 1966 with a song called, I Want You, I Want You, I Want You, So Bad.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So how about that in terms of an influence? And of course, John was very, very fond of Bob Dylan.
0: The guitar strumming is different. I can't explain it other than the fact that it's simple. It's all over the place. Like there's, there's, there's little lines all through each song. What's your thoughts on the guitar work?
1: on the overall album yeah just, i mean do
0: you does it does it pop uh, i mean like to me the bass line pops i feel that ringo pops but yeah you know i'm looking at the guitar and i'm like okay well they're doing something completely different than they've done before
1: well in terms of guitar playing you go from something like here comes the sun which by the way john is not even on that song mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. if people know that or not. he's not on that song and george is doing the doing the guitar work and it's also kind of Indian-influenced with the way the rhythms keep changing. da 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 So there's that kind of guitar going on, and then you go to back to I Want Your She So Heavy, uh, which is, it's like John and and... George, they kept recording over and over, multi tracking the it 's a wall of sound it 's a phenomenal sound, yeah, and again, back then it was it was an incredible wave of guitars that were coming through. that's just part of the song the other part of the song is blues it's 100 percent blues and john is playing all those lead riffs and i want you to see so heavy it's john playing the lead
0: i love the whole little jazzy break in the middle of the song which is um to me is something that like no i mean obviously they have some kind of influence with coltrane miles davis and this was their little like nod to the cool fusion of of jazz I believe right there at that that middle piece see I'm getting a little pig into it that you know he said it was a cry for love in several parts and I'm like oh this is kind of like their version of a heavy metal like love supreme where it's in three different pieces and um, it's jazzy in the center
1: um, oh you're ta- yeah you're talking about the little doo do, 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 and the bass doo, 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 doo,
0: doo. yeah, that, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, love yeah. that part. And um, oh,
1: yeah, yeah. McCartney's bass playing, his, his bass playing, and I want you to see so heavy is mind boggling. Yeah, like, he's 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 doing riffs and he's doing runs, and not to mention Ringo's drumming at the end of the song. It's like he's drumming like he's never he never drummed before. white noise comes in with the Moog synthesizer. Yeah. And in, in addition to the Moog synthesizer, you've got Ringo doing an overdub of an actual wind machine to increase the white noise sound. And then, of course, the, the cliff ending, ending, which is, What? nobody in the world at that time would have done an ending like that yeah, it's just
0: <laughs> 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 that would be more effective than any kind of fade out they were considering.
1: oh oh my god it's so dramatic to go from again extremes extreme density and volume of sound to nothing to silence wow what an extreme
0: I ranked my favorite Beatles songs and put them on Facebook recently. I put I Want You at number 12. And and I felt that it's just nothing like it. They've never done anything like this. Right, that's right. And it's just so cool. Standing back and really looking at a a piece of art, I think it's pretty awesome.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's go uh, back to, um, let's go to one. We went, we, we jumped around a little. But come together it starts out the album, and you know the what you're talking about the bass line, yeah, and the drum. What is the it it? Is that just a percussion?
1: No, it's John saying shoot me.
0: I think that's crazy.
1: Of course it's crazy because he because he got shot. Uh, it's so it's so, it's downright scary. Yeah. That he was doing that and saying that shoot me in 69 and then of course we know what we knew what happened we know what happened 11 years later. But I think no one really can it's not it's buried in the mix. See, some people like you you say, "Oh, it's some percussion going on." Mm-hmm. People don't know it's John saying, "Shoot me."
0: I always thought for years it was shoot do do like sure do shoot oh. do and I always would say that and and I was doing research on here and they're like it says shoot me it's an amazing piece of work and um, I looked at the lyrics in the middle and uh, he bag production he got Walrus gumboot he got yeah. Ono oh sideboard he, got, he right. got one spinal cracker.
2: He got all the He got all no sideboard. He want spinal
0: He got feet. Um, Right. It's just junk, but God, that song's awesome. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: John was a genius when it came to, I wouldn't say gibberish necessarily, but he had the uh, the ability to take a, a bunch of words that are completely unrelated, that that work together it's it's poetry it's actually it's john lennon's poetry yeah that's great. what the, that's what the lyrics are to come together
0: <laughs> it, it's weird i mean like paul um does a great job with something just doing the the background vocal like and with come together he just does like he's he's spot on it was john lennon's um wrote the song for timothy leary campaign the stand against ronald reagan which i think is
1: yes. amazing Yeah, that was the original idea for the song. That's right, for Timothy Leary's gubernatorial campaign. Right. And I'm glad you like it so much because that happens to be the name of my radio show,
0: Tom. Uh, And that's exactly why I like it. (laughs) (laughs) While we're at it, talk about your radio show. Yeah,
1: the best place to hear my show is at RadioMalibu.net, Saturdays and Sundays at 12 noon. Pacific. And I've been on the air now, Tom, for more than four and a half years. I've crossed the four and a half year mark. I can't believe it.
0: I I, I see every week you you come up with more creative ways of how you can slice and dice the Beatles and make it exciting. And I think that's really a creative piece because uh, you've come up with some really innovative ways on how to present the material. That, to me, is really exciting. I recommend anyone going on Facebook and and, uh, getting on his page. Um, He is able to unlock some really cool pictures that I've never seen before, along the fact that, you know, each week he's coming up with something new and fresh. And um, I, I think that's an awesome way to listen to the Beatles.
1: Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate that. And this weekend actually is going to, well, it might not be this weekend because well, I don't know when this is going to air. But anyhow, yeah, they should just go to Radio Malibu.net and they'll, they'll hear the thematic themes that are going on to, to position. Because there's only so many songs, and I've been playing the same
0: songs yeah, for four yeah, and a yeah.
1: half years. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, I think that that is a work of art in itself. Yeah. yeah Thank I, you. Yeah, that You're putting a lot of thought into it. You could just do something special every single week.
1: Yeah, thanks very much. By the way, the, getting back to the song Come Together on Abbey Road, John got, in tr- got into trouble. He got into some legal trouble. Do you know what happened the, with him in the song?
0: This is the Chuck Berry problem, right? But was it the lyrics or was it the music or was it both?
3: But when you will hear her sing, now you can't catch me. Baby, you can't catch me. Cause if you get too close, you know I'm gone like a hoot. Breathe. New Jersey
1: turnpike in the
3: wee wee hours, I was rolling.
1: It was both. It was John actually, the melody to come together is very, very similar to the melody of Chuck Berry's You Can't Catch Me, and John actually lifted some of the words. So Chuck Berry's publisher, Morris Levy, filed a lawsuit against John, and John reached a settlement in 1973, and the deal was that John said, listen, I'll go ahead and record You Can't Catch Me, and a couple of your other songs that you own the publishing on, and you'll make a boatload of money on the record, and that record was John's Rock and Roll album. If
0: it's a Lennon-McCartney tune, how did Paul skate out of that?
1: Well, they, McCartney and Lennon, as you probably know, they, they had a deal that, even like, for instance, on Give Peace a Chance, <laughs> McCartney gets a songwriting credit, which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. he has not nothing to do with the song, but it was John who wrote Come Together, and Paul didn't write Come Together, so they just went after John.
0: Wow. I looked at covers Tina Turner, Soundgarden, Michael Jackson, Elton John, Kate Bush, Aerosmith, and mm-hmm. the Smoking Mojo Filters. You
2: come on, flat top.
1: Oh, that's appropriate. That's a good good name of a band for the for the lyrics in the
0: song. <laughs> yeah, well it was Paul, it was Paul with um a guy from Oasis, one of the guys from Oasis. They did a version of it. Oh, okay. How about okay. that for rare. <laughs> in- for wow. Song. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: by the way, by the way, side 1 opens with come together and side 1 ends with i want Your she's so heavy. Initially John, he wanted all his songs on one side and all of Paul's songs on another side. So he almost, he didn't get his wish, but pretty damn close, because Psy 2, of course, is the medley. But he didn't even mention anything about, well, gee, where should we put
0: George's songs? Uh, I mean, the only song that was a single was something and Come Together. That's correct. I felt that... Uh, Something should have been an A-side Come Together should have been an A-side And Here Comes the Sun should have been an A-side I don't understand how this album Could just only spawn one Song One single Yeah.
1: Well well, Come Together and Something uh, Were what is known as a double A-sided single They were both A-sides
0: The next song is Something And what's your opinion on that?
1: Thank you very much ladies and gentlemen now I'd like to turn to something that, the, and that so happens to be the title. Of, this is a great song by George Harrison of the Beatles with a marvelous arrangement by Don Costa. It's one of the best love songs I believe to be written in 50 or 100 years, and it never says, I love you in the song, but it really is one of the finest. If you please. <laughs>
3: Something in the way she moves Attracts me like no other lover Something in the way that she moves me
1: Well, like Frank Sinatra said, it's the greatest love song ever written, uh, initially, he said it was written by Lennon and McCartney, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <I>
0: <laughs> which didn't go boys. over too
1: well with didn't go over too well with Mister Harrison. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he corrected himself. And what's interesting is that at this time, on the newly formed Apple record label, James Taylor was an art recording artist with Apple, and he recorded and released a song on his album. Called something in the way she moves.
3: Mm-hmm. something in the way she moves. Or looks my way or
1: calls my name. It seems to leave. This so trouble world. George just lifted those lyrics. Something in the way she moves, <laughs> but it wasn't like. It wasn't like James Taylor was okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sue the Beatles. He wasn't about to do that. So George was uh, able to get away with that with any repercussions from Mr. Taylor.
0: I think that the Beatles get a kick out of the fact that this song has become a, a song that is a part of the whole Americana. I mean, back in the '60s, and the, the fact that like a, a Frank Sinatra would want to do your song or you know, Ella or Sarah Vine, I, yeah. I think is, you know, that's gold. Like, Yesterday was like that, and I love yeah. her. And uh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if they attempted to tackle a Beatles song, I think that's such a, a level of respect.
1: Oh, that, yeah. That they,
0: a- yeah, that they were like, oh, God, I can't believe Frank Sinatra was doing my song. And he did, he did a great version of it, too.
1: It's a real honor. That's what it, it is. is. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, that's Mister Billy Preston on the organ.
0: That's funny. I have uh, it. It's a uh, great something. Uh, Billy Preston really kills. I I think it's a great song.
1: It's interesting because John said it's is the best song on the album. Oh yeah, John said that. Yeah. yeah, John Lennon said that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and they were like, it has to be the A side, and it's such a great nod to um, George Harrison, who oh sure you know, was always you know stifled, and it was great that he finally had. You know the A side. I I don't think he's he's had some B sides, but I don't think he's ever had an A side.
1: That's right. So it was a big acknowledgement to George from John Lennon. Yes, absolutely.
0: It is funny. John doesn't give out compliments too often, so you got to take them when you get them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's very true.
0: Okay, so we're on to number three, and this one I was doing timelines because we're at Maxwell Silverhammer, and I'm looking at this, and it's a you know it's a it's a song of a psychotic guy who's um, you know bludgeoning people, and I'm like, okay, well, w- didn't they just get burned with Helter Skelter, like Helter Skelter was kind of happening before Maxwell Silverhammer is a very very British and very um, like satirical, but it's also you're in that whole vein. You think that they would pull it and say maybe this is inappropriate. It, is it appropriate or not? As a song, it's a lot of fun. Joan was
2: quizzical Studied by the physical Science in the home
3: Late nights all alone with a test you
2: oh, oh, oh Maxwell Edison Majoring in medicine Cheers.
1: a cutesy the, the music is cutesy or as john say granny music it was cutesy so the juxtaposition of the fun style of the music doesn't quite match the lyrics actually it's kind of contrary to one another and john hated this song so much that he left this recording session and he didn't come back for two weeks.
0: Yeah, wow. <laughs>
1: that's how so much he hated this song.
0: <laughs> I noticed on here he's missing on some of these tracks. So.
1: Oh yeah, he's not on Maxwell. That's for sure.
0: Wouldn't this be like an early Monty Python? Like, wouldn't this be British and 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 satirical and and kind of goofy and? Yeah, uh, I, y- I could y- I could see that. Yeah, I could see that. Like, okay, well, you know. I got it. Who did a great version of this was Steve Martin on uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band movie album soundtrack. It worked with him, too. He um, went over the top with it. Well, that would
1: that be appropriate? Sure.
0: Yeah.
3: Joe was quizzical, studying pataphysical science in the home, Late night, alone.
1: By the way, that's that's uh, that's George playing the six string bass on on Maxwell.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. John wasn't involved in any of the vocals either.
1: No, no, not at all. No. And George said that Maxwell was the the worst recording session ever. <laughs> so George, because because Paul is such a perfectionist, it's like the song, you know, it took like a week maybe to for for Paul to be. Happy with the recording, and it just drove George George bananas, it drove him nuts. You can imagine.
0: It seems like it would be a throw-off, simple song, and if you spend a week on it, and John's not coming in for two weeks, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, something's wrong. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, so number four is "Oh Darling," and before I talk about it, let me ask you, what do you, what do you think about this song? Oh
2: darling. <laughs>
1: I think it's one of McCartney's best vocals on a song that he wrote. It's very 50s rock and roll, kind of like a nod to Fats Domino style of of a a piece of music.
2: When When I met you, you told me
3: that you loved me.
1: interesting with o, o Darlin' and McCartney, again, the perfectionist, he would come in in the morning and, and do the vocals until he was happy with it. It took him about a week before he was satisfied with the lead vocal. And that's John playing the piano. I always thought it was be Paul playing a piano on a song like that, but it's John. And John thought it would have been better if he sang it rather than Paul, I love Oh, Darling. The guitar work is superb. Oh, the arpeggios are just fabulous on that song.
0: Listening to the Paul through the years, and he's able to shred. I mean, I think if you look back on it now, he wouldn't have to overdo the shred. I think he had the skill later. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he really was a perfectionist, but he does it so effortlessly <laughs> now. You know, it's like... Uh, it's like okay maybe he was learning the skill of how to damage his voice I don't I don't know
1: well actually he did a year earlier he did Helter Skelter talk about screaming and shredding my mm-hmm. god
2: when I get to the bottom I go back to the top of the slide stop and it-
1: So, and he always had the ability to do that because he was inspired and influenced by Little Richard, who was screaming. You know, you can go back to "I'm Down" as early as as '65. Uh, you tell
2: lies, and I can not see you can't cry 'cause you're laughing at me. I'm
1: down. Vocally, of course. With O'Darlin, he really put, pushes the envelope all the way out, as far as I'm concerned. It, Helter Skelter and O'Darlin, I think uh, two songs vocally that he, he really, really blows it out.
2: And, oh, darling, please
1: On even on the ballad on Golden Slumbers on uh, one of the verses he's he's pushing it as well vocally. The mm-hmm. lyric I'm thinking of is smi- smile awakes you when you rise. You know he's just ripping on that which is fabulous. Yeah. Golden
2: slumbers fill your eyes smile
3: I will sing
0: I went back to the Sgt. Pepper Lonely Hearts Club Band soundtrack and Robin Gibb uh, had a top 40 hit of Oh Darling Um, it was one of the few songs that they got on the top 40 from that soundtrack
2: Oh oh darling Please
3: believe me I'll never
2: but do you Know how
0: Believe me mm. And, and um, I just wasn't impressed uh, it, it seems very pale in comparison Just like the whole movie was Not a really good idea Or mm. uh, execution Okay, so we're up to um, The Ringo Starr song And yeah. w- uh, we're talking about Octopus's Garden And what's your thought of that?
1: Well, I think it's it's a fun song, certainly. Uh, I mean, Ringo's actually blowing, uh, with, a, uh, with a straw, blowing bubbles into a, a glass of milk to get the bubbly effect during the middle part of the song, which is lots of fun, for sure. Mm-hmm. And Ringo gets all the all the writer's credit, but actually George actually helped him write it, coincidentally. And it was inspired when Ringo quit the band, he quit the band during the White Album Sessions in 68, and he he went to Sardinia, and he was cruising on Peter Sellers' yacht. And that was the inspiration uh, for Octopus's Garden because one of the guys on the boat, working working on the boat, he, was, he served uh, octopus for lunch, and Ringo didn't know much about it. And he said, oh yeah, they live down at the bottom of the sea. And so that was the thing that inspired Ringo to write the song.
3: us my
1: friends to come and see I think it's a very as I say it's a fun song mm-hmm. it's probably it's probably the most fun song uh, on the album and the band sounds great uh, they did a version of it on anthology which actually I prefer uh, it was really just they were just really swinging with it almost
3: I'd like to be under the sea.
1: A good, it's a very good Ringo song, and as we know, they always like to give Ringo uh, one song per album. And uh, there you have it with Octopus's Garden. What do you think about that song, Tom?
0: I think that you know, they killed with Yellow Submarine like a year before, and this to me is like the sequel.
3: In the town where I was born lived a man who sailed to sea, and he told of his life in the land of submarines so we say
0: Yeah, I, I'm like, well, the, you have the action figures, you have the, the soundtrack, you have everything, and here is Octopus's Garden that would be, you know, it would be perfect in Yellow Submarine. I mean, yeah, it, that song Yellow Submarine was on Revolver, and then all of a sudden it got developed into this major cartoon. Yeah. And, you know, this song is, it seems like it's, it's this, you know, a perfect companion to it. Mm. looking at it objectively musically it's fantastic to me it's a lot of fun uh it's them having fun and you know i love the when they they're singing background with
3: out and swim about the coral that lies beneath the waves.
1: i was just gonna say the background for the background voices are superb
0: yeah
1: uh, they are brilliant
0: yeah and john didn't do background on that that was uh he did he did guitar but he didn't do the background vocals you know george and paul and ringo again you know by themselves again yeah um I give it a thumbs up. I think if I would rank it from one to five as a song on this album, I would give it a five. I think it's fantastic.
1: Okay, Ringo. Ringo's happy with that. He's nodding. (laughs) He's giving us the nod.
0: Perfect. And we turn the album over and we got... We flip
1: it over. Yep. And
0: Mm -hmm. we got Here Comes the Sun song.
1: No, nothing. No, John at all on this amazing song.
0: Yeah. So what's your thought of this song?
1: Everybody loves it because it's so warm. The lyrics are all about the sun coming out after a cold, lonely winter. And George wrote it because he wanted to get away from all the, the the nonsense and the noise that was going on at Apple Records and all the business crap that he didn't want to deal with anymore. So he went to Eric Clapton's garden in the spring of 69, and that's where he wrote it. And musically it's superb and again McCartney's bass playing is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the Indian rhythms which are very unusual in a song. Da 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 do da da do da Bom 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 Da Do Da Do Da Do Da Da Do Bom And everyone loves Here Comes the Sun, and Harrison's vocals, I think, are maybe some of his best, uh, that along with something. And so George really shines, no pun intended, with this song and and with something. Those are, I think, two of the strongest songs on Abbey Road, and they're George's.
0: Um, We're up to Because. George on the Moog, uh, George Martin on the Baldwin harpsichord. Yep. John saying that, you know, Yoko, he told Yoko to play the Beethoven Moonlight Sonata backwards.
1: It's not, and uh, I have the ability to take any piece of music and and reverse it. And
2: <laughs> if you want to
1: try it out, yeah, it's not. It's not. No, no, it's not. Oh, that's wrong. No, no. It's Where'd not. that come I mean, from? R- r- well, you know, John just said, "Hey, yoko you know, play Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata backwards," and she may have played something, but it's not. It's not Moonlight Sonata backwards. Mm. The the keyboard, the harpsichord part that George Martin plays is not Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata backwards, I assure you. But it does have do 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 do, 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 do bom rhythmically it's similar. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Pitch wise, forget it. Pitchwise it's not the same at all. But one of the most remarkable things, if not the most remarkable things about it, aside from George Martin's brilliant uh, harpsichord playing, is that John, Paul, and George' their harmonies is it's probably the best harmony singing that they ever did, and it was triple tracked. That's why it's so dense and rich. Mm -hmm. Triple tracked, so it's it's like there's nine voices three each right three six nine you got three Johns you got three Georges you got three Pauls and it's phenomenal the vocals and because
0: oh yeah yeah definitely because the wind is
2: high it blows my mind because
0: I would say that the Beach Boys would just say, "Okay, we're done now. We can't." We can't <laughs> but yeah, you're right. The the vocals are so clean and so amazing and so strong, and it's, it's the it's I mean, it's the song. They they could have just done an acapella, which we, I think we heard versions of acapella. Yes, It stands among you know. It's fine. It's fine as is. Yeah, you know, it's beautiful. The next song is "You Never Gave Me Your Money."
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, talk about Paul and the piano ballad. Wow. Uh, sometimes, even to this day, I will hear this song and I just get really emotional when I hear it. Mm, me too. You know, it, al- it almost brings me to tears to this song. Is just the piano and the way McCartney delivers his vocals. And again, going back to the quibbling and quabbling that was going on amongst the Beatles. Alan Klein had entered the picture. He was coming in to try to take over. John wanted Alan to manage the Beatles and he convinced Ringo and George to do that and meanwhile McCartney wanted his in laws, the Eastmans, to do that. So so you never give me your money is really it was it's a talking Paul's writing lyrics about the false promises that Alan Klein made. Uh, just phenomenal. And there's, there's. Uh, Paul brought in some tape loops at the end of the song uh, for the sound effects. And it's a beautiful, it's I think one of the most beautiful pieces on Abbey Road. So it's interesting where side one is really mostly rock and roll songs, Tom. But side two has the ballads. Mm-hmm you know of course side 1 has something with the exception of something but side 2 you know you've got of course because we just talked about that and then you've got you never give me your money another beautiful ballad and then of course that segues into another beautiful ballad as well
0: the best paul mccartney songs of all time like this is the this is the blueprint of what paul is going to do in his solo work if you think of that song it's almost three songs it's like out of college money like you never give him your money then it's yep. out of college money spent pay no right. future pay no rent and then it's one sweet dream you know which is a different it doesn't really match up to the the previous um, lyrics and then they get into the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven mm-hmm. You never give me your money all good children um, yeah. who go to heaven which yeah. is amazing like every piece is amazing and it's all kind of woven together and what maybe frustrates some people about paul or love about paul is that he does these song collages and i think that this song in a collage is a collage and yeah uh, it's
2: a,
1: it's a medley it's a medley within the medley that's yeah. exactly what it is
0: yep. and and if you love paul you have to realize that you know if you love band on the run or if you like living in Thai, you know they're there are abrupt changes within those songs that take you in another place, but they'll all bring you back to the end. And this this song to me is it's very very dramatic and sweeping, and I and I and I think his voice is amazing, just completely amazing through the whole song.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my all time favorite Beatles songs, actually.
0: The next song, what we have is Sun King. thoughts about Sun King?
1: Yeah, well actually it was originally called Here Comes the Sun King, but then John realized that George wrote Here Comes the Sun.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> he,
1: he had a mix Here here Comes the, and just called it Sun King. The vocals um, are produced and sung in, the, in extremely similar fashion, the, the way that they did Because. It's really pretty much the same Vocal style and arranging and on the voices, and it's a it's a it's a great beautiful song. And then that's when they get into doing all this: cuando, panza mucho, chachalita, congalita bunga kong. Mm-hmm. They're just, just they're just singing. You see, this is this is what's interesting. They're singing nonsense. They're singing things that don't make any sense, and it's so. Beautiful
0: yes, sounding. It's very beautiful. It's
1: just it's beautiful and they're saying nothing. It's gibberish. Mm-hmm. Again, another example of John's ability to do gibberish, make it sounding poetic in a bunch of foreign languages that 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 don't even belong with one another at the end of the song, and we're like, ah, oh, wow. Quando mm-hmm. palamucho caramilla, catasol, whoa, parasol, whoa mm-hmm. qui, Chicafare, all this weird stuff. We don't know what the hell they were talking about when this when this song came out, but it didn't matter because it 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 sounded so damn good.
0: Yeah, another Beach Boys song. Like, okay, we're done now. Um, (laughs) The Beach Boys, yeah. If you see, there is a dramatic line in in the uh, Beach Boys' creativity after the 1970s. So uh, they must have said, okay, we're done now. We can't go any further. But (laughs) we were were talking about that carnival element that's in, um, I want you, uh, there is that, in the background, there's like that Ferris wheel kind of, Carnival el- thing. Yeah, yeah, element yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, they don't need to put that in there. And if you're listening to your headset, you're like, it is so great that they did. And it, and um it's it's beautiful. It's a it's a very beautiful song.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Doing a little research I th- thought this was wild Because this is something I didn't know what, But what did you think Of this song?
1: Well what, The thing that I love The most about it Believe it or not This is the This is the Second time That Mr. Bassman Paul McCartney Plays a fuzz bass The first time he did it Was on Rubber Soul On George's Think for Yourself
2: I've got
1: But the fuzz bass on Me, Mr. Mustard is killer. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just fantastic. And the sound of the song is is great. And John said it was a piece of junk. It's what he, how, he, how he talked about Polythene Pam and Me, Mr. Mustard and you know things that he had that he just wanted to get rid of. But wow, Jesus, what they did with it. Again, the sound of these little bits. Yeah and again the flow you know to go from that you know into the into the song and the song that precedes it it just works it just works so well i like me mr mustard the harmony the harmony is fantastic paul's harmony with john is i think some of the best harmony that they do together
0: do you feel that john's voice was slowed down mr mustard like it's is it a, is it slowed down or is he did he sing that way? Because
1: I think I think he deliberately sang it that way. That's what I think.
0: It's but great. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a great sound. It's a great sound. The the background to this is it's a story song, just like some of his other ones, like Benefit for Mister Kite, where he read something or A Day in a Life. The story is about a um, something he read in the paper about yeah. a miserable old man who hid the money up in his rectum. And, and, <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. I was like, yeah, "What?" Yeah. And so they they didn't want to do yeah. the whole keeps the uh, uh, the a ten something up his nose. It's, yeah, so yeah. they put it up his nose instead, yeah. which was a lot nicer.
1: Thank uh-huh. you, John.
0: Yeah, and they did in that uh, song. Well, and that has double meaning at that time too. I mean, it kind of makes oh, sense. Oh, sure, but, sure. But then they did mention uh, Sister Pam, like that was in the the actual article. So. I was like, "Wow! Like he just kind of like took that right off the paper," and I love this song. This is a really, really cool song, and i I find that a lot of people in in the fifty years have taken this song and kind of stole elements from it. A lot of mm-hmm. alternative bands, I, I find that they really kind of like kind of clue into some the tones of the song.
1: I think so, yeah. Again, because the Beatles' influence in 69 was just as strong as it was in 64, really. And it's interesting, at the end of the song, it goes into 3-4 time, and, and John was quite well known at this point for mixing time signatures and meter. He did it a lot with many different songs, and they were John songs, especially like She Said, She Said. It changes meter quite a bit, as an example. So at the end of me, Mr. Mustard, it goes into 3-4 time.
0: Yeah, and it goes right into polythene PAM. the Pam yeah it's just wild yeah I, I, it's
1: well polythene Pam to me is, is is is- just rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know just big big rhythm guitar, John slamming it away on an acoustic twelve string guitar um it's it's a again it's not it's not a great song, I don't think it's a great song, but again, it was another bit that he had that he wanted to unload and it fit perfectly in the melody sorry, the medley. Mm-hmm. So it works well there. It's, it's almost kind of like they're uh, almost doing kind of a kinks thing in a way.
2: Go, clean, bad, it sin, so
1: a bit, a bit like the kinks.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, exactly. This is very kinkish and um, very British. I wrote down it's very British. Um, yeah. this is early punk. The way um, you know he's uh, the 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 tone and the way he's singing. The, you know the lyrics. I wrote, "Get a dose of her in Jack boots and kilt. She's a yeah. killer diller when she's dressed to the hilt." She's the yeah. kind of a girl that makes you, makes the news of the world. Yes, you could say that she was ex- exactly built. Um, right. This is, if by chance Paul and John worked together, they would have finished this song. <laughs> That's what it, you know, it's like, okay, well, this is John's, and Paul's not going to play around with it. But yeah. there, there's if- there, there's so much elements here of a fantastic kind of pre-punk song here that, and British, very Britishy kinda of kinky thing. That I think that um this would have been an amazing song by itself if, if they gave it the opportunity.
1: Well, I agree with you, and also the background voices are fantastic. And McCartney's bass line is in your face mm-hmm. on this one.
0: Do you think it was sarcastic when he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, again, that's a, that's a throwback in the reference to the very beginning days of the Beatles, which yeah. she loved you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It just sounds kind of angry. That's what I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. So the yeah, yeah, yeah is obviously it's it's like a moniker. I mean, it's like a brand. It's the Beatle brand. Yeah, you're right. When they When they say yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know how many people make that connection, but this is the last – time that they're recording together and in this song they're singing yeah 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 again
0: and, and the word polythene i looked it up because you know 50 years never thought about doing it don't know what it means it's a type of plastic made plastic th- right? th- yeah thin yeah. sheets i thought it was like plastic you know but it's thin sheets that, that they use to keep food fresh you know so it's that that it's yeah. a plastic rap, yeah it's plastic I, rap, yeah Pam <laughs> has nothing to do with the lyrics, uh other than but uh it's it's a cool name, it's just I just feel like if if given the chance to to really develop that song, I think it would be a really hot song, I think it's a great song,
1: well, you know, knowing what was going on back in those wild days at the Beatles, uh, supposedly there was a girl from New Jersey named Pam and I believe that, that John and I don't know about the other Beatles but met this girl and supposedly she used to wrap herself up in this in this plastic wrap. Oh wow so, Yeah, so there okay. you go. <laughs> Some <Yeah>. inspiration.
0: There. <laughs> that makes more sense than than anything else. Okay so it goes it goes right into okay well look out she came in through the bathroom window Yeah. and um that guitar in that song is awesome oh yeah the whole song is awesome the vocals in the background uh paul's vocals um go ahead talk about it
1: yeah the background vocals are superb again mccartney's bass playing is out of this world it's syncopated on one of the verses it's just phenomenal if you zero in on his bass playing on this song it'll blow your mind and It has some of the lyrics have something to do with Barry. uh, I want to say Barry, Sergeant Barry Dresner, when they were down in Miami. It goes all the way back to February 1964, where he said something about um, uh, keep your day job, something to that effect. He was joking around, of course, with the Beatles then. And so there's that reference in the lyrics, right? So I, I. it's a great bit, and it could have been, I think, as you were saying earlier about Polly, Polythene Pam, it could have been developed into a full-blown, more of a full-blown song. Oh, it yeah. certainly warrants it certainly warrants it instead of putting it in the medley. But, you see, they knew that this was it, and so it's like, okay, well, I've got this bit, you know, and John, you've got that, so why don't we see if we can just sort of weave them together? mm mm-hmm. And That's exactly
0: what they did. I guess you're right. So you know they're obviously not like collaborating like they did in the past. If they did this whole album would be different. They were John songs. They were Paul songs. And then you got this medley of the scraps. I mean, they were fantastic scraps. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. the one thing about this song is it's one of those Apple Scruffs. Like she came in through the bathroom window. Is things that happen a lot. You know where those apple scruff girls would go into uh, Paul's house and
1: you know, yeah, yeah. one girl actually came. One one fan actually went into his house through the bathroom window. That's yeah. true. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's just like protected by the silver spoon. It's just kind of like a drug reference again. But um, yeah, maybe they should tell Todd Rundgren or or um, you know people who have that Beatle X to finish the medley songs up and See what that sounds like. <laughs> yeah. you know, get get some cheap trick guys in there.
1: Well, maybe Paul could finish them up and do extended versions. Yeah, yeah. Like Paul you, and Paul and Ringo, they're still around.
0: Yeah, if they wanted. I mean, it was their album to begin with. Why not? Sunday's on the phone,
2: tomorrow.
3: Once there's a way To get back homeward Once there's a way To get back home. Sleep pretty darling Do not cry And I will sing a lullaby Sing a lullaby once there was a way to get back home. Once there was a way
2: to get back home,
0: sleep pretty dark.
3: I will sing
0: a lullaby. So you got Golden Slumbers.
1: Oh, boy. Yeah. Mm, Oh, boy. That's to me is to me. That's the most emotional piece of music on on the on the record is Golden Slumbers. But once there was a way to get back homeward, once there was a way to get back home, sleep pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. Now, and that's when he goes, Gold, it's but fill your eyes. I mean, he's ripping it. It's almost like gospel. It's like he's singing in a gospel style. But he kind of lifted this in a way. It was inspired by a poem from, not, from 1603, Tom, way back, by Thomas, not you, but to, to a different <laughs> Tom, Thomas Decker, something called Cradle Song.
3: Cradle Song by Thomas Decker Read for LibriVox.org by Winston Tharp Golden slumbers kiss your eyes, Smiles awake you when you rise, Sleep, pretty wantons, do not cry, And I will sing a lullaby, Rock them, rock them, lullaby care is heavy therefore sleep you you are care and care must keep you sleep pretty wantons do not cry and i will sing a lullaby rock them rock them
1: lullaby and it's it's one of i think actually no it's it's impossible to say what's. It's like saying, well, what's your favorite Beatles song? It's impossible. What's your favorite song on Abbey Road? It's impossible. I can't tell you what that is. All I know is that this song really moves me. And again, there's no John anywhere on this song.
0: No. No. Yeah, you got uh, George did the bass, and and Paul did piano, and Ringo did the drums, and and, uh, it was pretty amazing.
1: George Martin did all that incredible orchestration. Oh. Oh. Which of course goes right into carry that weight.
0: Which is I love the fact that they they took Ringo and put him really high in the mix. Did the yeah. vocals only on that song? Um, but that's if, right. If you hear "Carry That Weight," you can hear Ringo. More oh yeah, prevalent his, than all the others, and it.
1: I I agree. His his vocals are very prominent, mm-hmm. and George again is on the six string bass on "Carry That Weight." Now, what is this song all about? What and this is written by Paul, mm-hmm. of course. So was "Golden Slumbers," with a little help from Thomas Decker. So, so what? Is carry that weight all about
0: Tom? While they were doing their financial stuff, George Harrison kept on saying, "Oh my God, the, this weight is so much. This is this is so heavy. I can't, I can't handle it." And uh, that's like uh, Paul's, you know, um, interpreting what he's saying and wrote that song, "Carry that weight." Okay, am I, am well I that right?
1: well that's well that's one interpretation. Uh, the other one that I like to think about is that they knew that they were going to go on their separate way. They knew that when they were working on this record. And that when, once they split up as solo artists, that they, as individual artists, had to carry the weight of the Beatles.
0: Mm, that makes a lot of sense, too.
1: That they could never do on their own what they did together As the Beatles. And they're going to carry that weight for a long time. And that's exactly what they did.
0: During that time period, you had the Age of the Aquarius. You had um, "I Like to Teach the World to Sing." Um, you had very positive, you know, Where um, Where Your Love Like Heaven." You had a lot of like songs that were very uplifting. Carry that weight, you know, in a in a time period of the v- Vietnam War, and it's it's a it's a um, slogan. It's an anthem, and you know, it it's big to me. It feels epic. I mean, the way it's produced, it's it's an epic song. Absolutely. And
1: then they bring in the orchestra, playing the me- uh, the melody of You Never Give Me Your Money. Yeah. And then they, then they go back into Carry That Weight again. I mean, it's just
0: brilliant.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, George Martin, I'm sure, had quite a bit to do with that, I would imagine. The end. So, we're, so where are we now? We're at the end.
0: We're at the end.
1: Yeah. And appropriately enough, it was the end of the record, not Well, it was, but then it was that little mistake of having the end be Her Majesty, which is very Beatly to do that because it was a mistake. So this is the end of the record, and it was the end of the Beatles recording together. Wow.
0: always thought they were saying the end i saw paul mccartney in concert about five times and he says love you love you
1: oh yeah yeah for, yeah it is lo- it is love you
0: yeah I, I had i always thought they were saying the, end.
1: the
2: oh.
0: end and and i was like wow they've been saying love you for 50 years and i did not know that <laughs> it's like a, this is what you let you learn when you're you know you're listening to intensely the album and Sometimes you put blinders on because you I mm. interpret this album as to where I want it to be and to what mm. it actually is. So um kind of rediscovering this was awesome, but I had no idea they were saying love you at the whole time.
1: Well, what they were saying is this is the end, folks, all you wonderful Apple scruffs and all your wonderful fans for all these years mm-hmm. and we love you.
0: Yeah, how cool is that? And um mm-hmm. You got you got the one and only Ringo solo, which I thought he did a great job on. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's the only Ringo drum solo, extended drum solo. I mean, he did bits yeah. every now and then. He would do bits in songs, but an extended drum solo. Yeah. And it's, of course, written by Paul. And then the famous John, Paul, and George, of course, doing the trade-off on the guitar solo. So you, you know who the sequence is, don't you? You probably Paul, do, Tom.
0: Totally. Paul, George, and John. exactly yeah Yeah, that's right yeah now yeah uh, this is genius too it's really cool and they they all have a different sound like oh yeah and they they sound completely different and but also together in this one song if that makes sense
1: well george george's style of of riffs that he played lead riffing and paul's are much more similar than john's Mm -hmm. john's to me is the most different of the three
0: i I agree too but you know he was also doing cold turkey and i feel that that kind of had that sound to it like john john had an amazing solo career at 1969 he was you know, betting for peace and and doing his own things. And, you know, this kind of was an inconvenience. You know, he was already working his his way out of the band.
1: Oh, yeah. He had had already formed the Plastic Ono band. And he already announced uh, that he was quitting the band. He made that announcement, you know, just before the album was was released, right around that same time, he said. Actually, it was um, before the album was released. He, he announced to John, uh, to, excuse me, to Paul George Aringo that he had quit the band, and that he had formed the Plastic Ono Band, and he released Cold Turkey a few weeks after the release of Abbey Road. For God's sake, mm-hmm. what does that tell you? So yeah, you're absolutely correct. He was already gone. By the way, it was number one in the UK for a total of 17 weeks.
0: It did a lot better. I think that the reviews for this album were mixed at at, at at first?
1: It didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the consumer went out, the kids went out, and they bought it. I uh-huh. mean, number one for 17 weeks, not consecutive weeks. There was one week when the Stones got in there with Let It Bleed. But other than that, I mean, 17 weeks? Good God. Yeah. In the U.S., it was number one for 12 weeks on Billboard. Mm-hmm. They- and what's interesting, too, is that on the cover... They were so well known, no name, there was no name of who who the group is, and there was no name of the album. The name of the album, of course, was on the back of the cover, so okay. that again is was extremely unusual at the time. but there you go again, with their originality mm-hmm. coming through, yeah,
0: I've seen more pictures from that photo shoot, and not one time does Paul have a cigarette in his hand, and the other right. Right. Other photo, and it looks it's looks like it was put in there on purpose. I saw that he had sandals on for most. It of one, the shots. Yeah,
1: one of the that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah. and then all of a sudden, uh, that, yeah, of
1: course. Well, like, there's not that many. There's not that many. Yeah, I've seen all. I've seen all the photos that were shot by Ian McMillan. He was the photographer. I've seen them all. Uh, there's no. There's no. As far as I know, unless there's some other, there was some other photographer. That's probably what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, some passerby or maybe someone from. From Apple, from the studio, came out and took some shots. That's probably what we're going to see. It's It's my guess. It's
0: interesting that that one, like, a lot of times when you when you take pictures of people, you have a role of, and he really had very limited, you know, shots. And I believe it's because he had to stop traffic and all that stuff. So you you were limited on what you can get. And the one that hit the album cover, to me, is the best one. Like he only had like maybe 10 shots? He had 10 minutes to take the shots. Yeah. So you're
1: like... The policeman The policeman was holding off traffic so that they could do this. It was a disrupt, disruption, you know, the traffic flow on Abbey Road that day. Now, getting back to the sandals, this is very interesting. Someone asked McCartney, he said, well, well Paul, uh, you had sandals on and then you took them off. His answer? Oh, well, it was a hot day, you know, so uh, so I took my sandals off. hmm Oh wait a minute! If it's a hot day, you want to keep your sandals on because when you take them off, you're going to burn the bottom of your feet on on um, on the zebra when you cross the road. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of bizarre, isn't it?
0: Oh, there's Paul is dead clues all over that album cover. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: With the yeah. The, the the Volkswagen in the back and the the people. Twenty eight, hug- if yeah. right,
1: even though he was twenty seven. Though, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then if you pull it back, there's um, you can draw. Um, a line where it says three Beatles," um,
1: right and the bottom the back cover right where the cracked and the wall is cracked mm-hmm. as if to say that the Beatles are cracked oh there's all that
0: stuff I, I, yeah i i think it's i mean it's just the mystique of the album i mean but uh that by far i mean the 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 cigarette thing is a, it bothers me it's like it's not a good airbrush and it and it makes me wonder why they even bothered even if for paul is dead you know clue like why would you put an airbrushed cigarette in his hand. I don't know.
1: No, he was he was really smoking that day. Well, I'm, it was a it, it was a real
0: it was a real cigarette. Really? You know? If you look at it, it seems like it's really airbrushed. I the other pictures didn't have it unless he like was smoking like real fast and did it. Also it was right-handed, he's left-handed.
1: Well, that was see that was part of the Paul is dead nonsense, mm-hmm. you know, the the death hoax is that oh well he's he's left-handed and he's holding the cigarette in the right hand so he must be dead. Mm-hmm. In other words, this can't be the real Paul because he would be holding the cigarette in his left hand. I mean, for God's sake, people when people smoke cigarettes, they, you know, they hold them, they alternate with their hands. They right, don't have everybody. to hold cigarettes. <laughs> yeah, you
0: know? but he was more ambidextrous than I am. You know. Uh, oh, well, so
1: you yeah. when you smoked, you only smoked cigarette? Only with, my right. Cigarette. Yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. I find that my left hand is, has no coordination with it. Is
1: that right? Well, yeah. okay. Well, then maybe there's something to that clue then. Yeah. You see, I'm ambidextrous as well, so that's why when I smoked a long time ago, I'd go from left to right, no, right uh-huh. to left. Right on. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The plot thickens, Tom.
0: <laughs> we all know about the, you know, the, the what they were wearing and...
1: Well, it's... The thing that's most striking is that you have John, Ringo, and Paul in suits. Mm-hmm. And then you have George in jeans and a denim shirt. So it's like, ge- hello? Well, George, you didn't get the memo. We're wearing suits today for the photo session.
0: George didn't dress like that. I never saw him dress down You know, in some of those pictures. He was very up with fashion and...
1: Yeah, he was very fashionable. That's right. Denim when he went and out, they called the yeah, no called fair. the Mad Day Out. You know, the Mad Day Out in '68. You know, mm-hmm. he was all dutted up with the latest mock clothing, yeah. which was only a year early, a year prior. That's true. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. I don't know what the hell was going on with with George and his quote unquote wardrobe that day. But that's a another mystery, isn't it, Tom? Yeah,
0: one that we will not get the answer to in this podcast. No, we will not. We will not know. <laughs> so, is this your? Is this the best Beatle album, in your opinion?
1: No. For me, no. No. I love it. I love the Beatle's second album. I love Hard Day's Night. I love Help. I love all of their albums. But for me, it's not my favorite Beatle album. No. Mm -hmm. It's damn good. I mean, there was a time when I, I loved it, and I thought it was the best. But over time, I... I have to say it's revolver, and then sometimes I'll say it's rubber soul. Mm-hmm.
0: I yeah. I would say it's revolver, and then I go to Magical Mystery Tour and White Album.
1: Ooh, yeah. Magical Mystery Tour! Now that's interesting because half of that record is a collection of singles.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's their best psychedelic pop, you know, and it's fantastic stuff.
1: Um, true, true, yeah. And by the way, you know, talking about. Say, let's say Abbey Road, compared to let's say Revolver, or even uh, of course, Robert Soul. John is all over Robert's Soul mm-hmm. musically and vocally, right? John is not as much on Revolver as Robert Soul, not as much. I'm talking about the u s version, not mm-hmm. the u k version. So with Abbey Road, as we had mentioned, you know, because he wrecked up his car in Scotland and then he stormed out for two weeks because he, he hated having to try to do anything on Maxwell Silver Hammer. The group was not the group that it was in 65 when they when they did Rubber Soul. There's a certain spirit that the group was so together on Rubber Soul. I mean, you can hear it in the tracks. Yeah. And on this, on Abbey Road, and, and don't get me wrong, songs like Because and Mind Blowing, the harmonies, the vocals, and the beautiful ballads, A Golden Slumber, and and um, what's the other ballad here? Help me out here. Oh, You Never Give Me Your Money, and of course, something. These are all great songs, don't get me wrong. They're fantastic. But there's, in terms of a group, it's not the same group of musicians that were working together as one unit, like they did way back in '65, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff comes through the tracks in the recording studio. And I don't think that happens on, on some of the tracks here on Abbey Road.
0: Doing this research for this this album uh, review, I was I was like, wow, they they did a lot of really cool stuff in these songs. <laughs> like, there's more to this just that that break of um the tape loops that that paul gave with the crickets and and the and
1: yeah yeah the tape loops at the end of you never give me your money awesome
0: you know and yeah yeah it's just like the 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 abundance of creativity that this album has just is way over it's fantastic it's fantastic
1: no question about it
0: yeah i mean i i feel like i've changed my my thoughts about it but i agree with what you're saying it's something different it it it's it, it's not the it's not the same it's but it's good
1: it had to be different because the beatles always moved on as you were saying earlier they kept evolving and this is what they evolved to in terms of their last recording and combining it with the car accident and john leaving and by the way john brings the A bed into Abbey Road Studios because Mm -hmm. Yoko was hurt in the car accident. That didn't go over well. So you know that kind of stuff didn't happen. It couldn't have happened back in '65 because Yoko wasn't in the picture. So it's it's just an evolution, and this is a a captures the Beatles at in this very specific time. And you know Abbey Road is a is a fantastic album. Now you said it was a little lighter. Well. I'd have to say that side two is, is on the light side with some of the stuff with some of the stuff with because and Sun King and you never give me your money and, and golden slumbers, but my God, side one, with the exception of something, whew, talk about heavy mm. we come together, and I want you. she's so heavy, and oh darling, my God, those are screaming out rockers bluesy bluesy rockers as well, so yeah.
0: I love Abbey Road. I love it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I uh I love it too. Um I it's not my go to, but it will be for a while. I'm very excited about the reissue. I'm kinda curious what they have in the vault. I doubt they have that much. Um as, I don't think they have a wealth of material like they might have in the white album, but we'll see what they are able to do to bring up and you know they also have the reissue of let it be coming up which to me will be a i hope a treasure trove of music that we've never heard before
1: we're going to celebrate abbey road which we uh, we just did really track by track mm-hmm. and i'm probably going to go listen to the whole album mm-hmm. right now and i'm going to love it
0: great uh, brooke hoprin beetle guru you know it's always a pleasure to have you on my podcast um I think I'm creating scenarios for me to talk to you. I'm like, let's do this, let's do this, because I. Love yes, you do. To you. Yeah. Bless your heart. Keep uh, it up. Keep it going. Yeah. I'm always there for you. Yeah, yeah, you are. And I and I was like, well, let's do this. So um, I really am glad that you're you're able to share your beetle wisdom with us in the world. Um, again, you you have a heavy bio, so I want you to kind of give us a a breakdown of your beatledom that 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 uh, people might not be aware of
1: well i've written three books on the beatles my beatle quiz book do you really know the beatles 540 questions my most recent book listening to the beatles experiencing the beatles excuse me experiencing the beatles a listener's companion and then i wrote a book based on a true story a novel called A magical mystery time which is really a story about this kid from New England who gets messages from the Beatles, positive messages, and he thinks that the Beatles know him, and he thinks that he knows the Beatles. So it's kind of a kind of a uh, a comedy and a dramedy. I guess you'd call it a dramedy is what you'd call that one. I do my Beatles radio show, of course. I've had the great fortune uh, to be a guest at John Lennon's birthday party in Syracuse, New York in 1971, where I met John and Yoko and Ringo. And then I met Yoko a number of times when I lived in New York, and she was always very, very nice to me. So I I can't say anything bad about Yoko because she was so pleasant to me. I met Paul when he did a fundraiser out here in Beverly Hills back in 2001. Uh, we, We chatted briefly. I wanted to speak with him more, but he was on his way in to to go up on stage so the timing wasn't quite right but it was great to finally meet him and shake his hand and all so that's kind of like my my beetle beetle connection if you will
0: and we talked about the radio show
1: oh yeah by the way speaking of the radio show ringo was on my radio show a couple of years ago really? and i interviewed i interviewed him and he was a, just like speaking with you tom there was no like oh i'm ringo star no, it was just down to earth, straight ahead, no attitude, no chip on the shoulder. He's the sweetest guy. I love Ringo very much. We have had a wonderful interview with him. And so I do my show, Come Together with the Beatles, every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Pacific at RadioMalibu.net.
0: I uh, really thank you, Brooke, for, for taking your time out to talk about Abbey Road, uh, 50 years. Um, it seems weird to me that it's 50 years. And I think in my final overall opinion of the album, for 50 years, this album more than stands up to the test of time.
1: That's Those are my exact same thoughts. That's exact, exactly what I was thinking as you were about to say that. <laughs> Abbey Road definitely stands the test of time. It sounds just as good today Mm -hmm. as it did in October of
2: 1969. And in the end, the love you take
0: next episode. The Beatles. Hey Jude.
2: When I, see it made it light, I can't take
3: it
0: Enjoy an original Brookhaven composition late at night. End of episode.